Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Paul's the writer, but the Spirit of God directing in this amazing portion in God's word. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body for we were saved in this hope but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance likewise the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, can I just point out, it doesn't say we feel, because I'm going to tell you there's a lot of days I don't feel this but I believe it is a difference. You may not feel it, but to believe it is a different thing. And the scripture says we don't feel, it says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Father, I just ask for your strength. Now, God, just give me strength in my weakness, Lord. Speak through your word by your spirit. That's what matters this morning. Nothing else matters, just that. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This summer, we went to visit a couple who um, we've known for a number of years, whose young teenage daughter was killed in a car accident on her way to college. And um, we went to their home. She is not a believer in the Lord. He is a believer in the Lord. And so we didn't quite know what to expect, but we thought maybe they'll be some kind of comfort in this visit. And so we went and um, we got to the home and a little bit of a greeting. And then we went in and we sat in the kitchen in the very 
first thing that she said, and she was very emphatic. When she said this, she looked us in the eyes and she said, you have to understand something. She said, you have to understand this was an accident. And she said it again, this was an accident. And she talked about the death of her son in relation to their loss as well. And I understand why people call it an accident. I get that. And I think I know why, where she was going with that. That when my son went out that day, he had no idea what was going to happen to him. In that sense, it was an accident. But everything in me in that moment, everything in me, I just wanted to scream, was not an accident. God had a purpose. There was a purpose in God allowing my son to die. The Lord could have stopped Nathan from going out on that ice that night a hundred different ways. I've thought of so many things. If only this, if only that, if only, if only. And he could have stopped him from going down that bay and that lake towards the river where his friend said, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but his friend said to me, he said, why did he go down there? He knew there was current there. I don't know why he went down there. But he fought for his life. His friend that found where he went through the ice said that he broke about 30 yards of ice trying to, to get out. God could have stopped that from happening. I prayed pretty much every day. If you're a parent here, you know what I'm talking about for the protection of my children and my grandchildren. Where was God in that moment? And for me to simply say that was just an accident, that was just all random, everything in me and everything that I know about God, if there is a God, and there is. And the God that I read about here in his word, it was not an accident. God had a purpose in allowing my son to die that day. God has a purpose in allowing us to go through suffering in our lives. Whatever form of suffering that might take in your life it may be different than the suffering that we're going through. And at some point, in some way in your life, if you have not already, you're going to suffer. And God has a purpose in allowing that. What good can God bring out of suffering? What good can God bring out of suffering? Last week, I talked about two things. Suffering compels us to depend on God. That is a good thing when we are broken by suffering to get to the place where we are absolutely dependent on God. And the second thing I mentioned last week is that suffering conditions us to live eternally minded. It lifts our eyes from this life to the life to come. And that is a good thing for the believer in Christ. I want to mention two other things this morning and next week, God willing, I'll give two more, but here is the third one. What good can God bring out of suffering? Number three, suffering conforms us to Christ-likeness. Suffering conforms us to Christ-likeness. Those verses that we read, verses 28 
and 29, and we could keep going. The whole chapter is incredible. Our brother mentioned the verses that come later on. It is such a rich portion. But there are two words that stand out to me in my mind as I think about this in verses 28 and 29. And it is the word purpose at the end of verse 28 to those who are the called according to his purpose. And then in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And it's the word predestined, purpose and predestined. Those two words stand and stare at me as I wrestle through. And I have wrestled through what we are living with in our lives. Purpose means, literally, if you've looked up the meaning of this word in the original, it literally means a setting forth or to put something on display. It is a word that is tied indirectly going back to the showbread in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, in the temple. I'm not going to go into all of that, but it is literally the thought of something being put on display. And so I want you to understand here kind of, I think, what is being driven at. And there's so much depth to this, and I'm only maybe going to scratch the surface of it. But that we who belong to the Lord that he loves are here ultimately to display him. To put him on display. To bring glory to him. To point to him. So that ultimately is the purpose of our lives. And so God allows suffering. Again, the context of Romans 8, the verses that I have read, were the portion that we are in here in the middle of this chapter. And there's no doubt in my mind that as Paul writes this and the Spirit of God is directing Paul, he's conscious of the suffering that these believers are going through because of their faith, I think, primarily, but it would include all suffering. And ultimately, that suffering will get really, really terrible. Read about the persecution of the church in Rome if you don't know the history. It was beginning now, but it was going to get a lot worse in the years to come. And as he writes this, he ultimately is saying that the ultimate purpose that we have, God allows suffering in our life to display him, to display his glory, that ultimately we are here for him. And there is a purpose, and there is a reason, and there is a meaning in our suffering. It is not random. It is not just an accident that things go wrong in the lives of what we would consider wrong in the lives of, of God's people. God has a purpose in allowing us to go through suffering. I quoted Timothy Keller last week. I think most of you know who he is died of cancer in May, and I have been reading a bit of his stuff and some of his stuff on suffering. And, and another quote from Timothy Keller, he says, Christianity teaches that contrary to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. Contrary to karma, suffering is often unfair. Contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And then he says this, if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. There is a purpose in our suffering. It is not random. Then there is the word predestined. 
And I know people get all hung up and bent out of shape when we throw that word out and the mind starts, can I just, let's just leave all that, okay? The word predestined here means to mark out before or to predetermine. And there is the idea of what? Intentionality in this. In other words, what are we being told here? That our lives are not just random. We don't just bounce through life and things happen and, oh, well, that happened and that was an accident. No, God predetermines the path that lies ahead. I take great comfort in that. Jackie clung to one of the passages that she clung to and clings to still Psalm 139. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And she said the days of our son's life were laid out in the book of God. And you the day was born. We held that precious little boy. And we watched him grow up. God knew the day he would die. It was not an accident. It was marked out before. Our lives, brothers and sisters, have purpose. Our suffering has purpose. They're not just accidents that happen in our life. It is not randomness. That idea of randomness comes from an idea, a way of thinking that there is no God, there's nothing, and there's no creator, and we just randomly came into existence in the universe, and we just randomly bounce through life, and when it's over, we die, and there's nothing. It's just biology. That's where that comes from. But my Bible says there is a sovereign, almighty God who knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. And that God that cares about a sparrow falling to the ground surely knew where my son was going that night and could have easily intervened, as I said, in many different ways to stop that from happening. But in his sovereign will, he allowed it to happen. Why? I don't know that I have a specific answer to that. I mentioned that last week. But all these things that I'm sharing, and here, this one, suffering conforms us to Christ-likeness. Look where the Scripture goes, the Spirit of God goes here. We know that all things work together for good, verse 28, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, if we're here for His purpose, whom He foreknew, He also predestined to what? The answer is right there. We don't need to debate and fight and write books and have arguments over what predestination is about. It's right there, to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to Christ-likeness. Literally means to have the same form, to be jointly formed, to be in union with. Doesn't mean we're going to become God. Please don't think that's what is there. That's not what's there. We're not going to become God, but we're going to become like him. We are his image bearers already. But we fall so far short from that, and sin has marred that, and there's a day coming, and God is in process already working us to that place of bearing more and more the image of his son. But when we get to heaven, it will be the ultimate thing that we will be like his son. 
And Paul speaks, as I said, of the suffering of this present time in verse 18, as he speaks about it and creation groaning and all these things we talked about last week. What is the ultimate purpose above maybe all these other things that I'm going to talk about, the ultimate purpose conforming us to his image, shaping our character, that we would have a character that is more and more like Christ. David Maines, some of you will know who he is. An older generation will know who he is. There's a devotional book that I have at home, and um, different writers, contributors, that I've loved this book. It has meant so much to me. I've given it out to a number of different people over the years. But one of his devotionals in there, daily devotionals, it's called The Difficult Times. And I'm just going to read a portion of what David Maines says in that devotional. He says, often in the most difficult times, it seems as if our Heavenly Father is strangely silent. I have felt that silence. And then he says this, I've come to believe this is a gift. God wants his people to understand how much his world is in pain. He wants us to identify with the suffering that surrounds us. This is an extremely difficult lesson to learn in a setting where we're used to having things more or less our own way. Our expectations and our sense of entitlement are high, and our tolerance for others and their problems is usually low. But God doesn't need men and women working for his cause who have brilliant minds but hard and shriveled souls. He's not necessarily searching for beautiful people or talented or educated people to be his servants. What he needs is believers who know what it is to be broken. How does suffering make us more like Christ? Why? I think the answer is simple, because he suffered. I'm going to talk about that more next week, the suffering of the Lord Jesus. If we're going to be like him... We're going to have to suffer in some way. First Peter 2.21, Peter says, For to you, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 3.10, verse many of you could quote, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. And that's where we want to stop. Because the next line says this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Give me the power of the resurrection any day, but the fellowship of his sufferings, I'd rather not deal with that. And sometimes God says, if you want to be like my son, you're going to have to suffer. Clovis Chappelle said, you may suffer and yet be unchristlike, but no man can be Christ-like and fail to suffer. If you ever, by the grace of God, become a partaker of the divine nature, you must also inevitably become a partaker of his suffering. Suffering conforms us to Christ's likeness. Fourth point. Number four, suffering enables us to comfort others. Suffering enables us to comfort others. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses there, Brother 
came up to me earlier this morning and, and, and mentioned that verse, and I said, I'm going to speak about that this morning. 2 Corinthians 1, as Paul bears his soul in this letter, he talks about the struggle and the issues that they were facing and the opposition from believers and from those that were not believers, and it's a very personal and intense letter if you've read. I think you're going to be going through it this winter. It's so intense that in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, he says, he says, where he talks about our trouble which came to us in Asia, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life, Paul says. That's amazing, isn't it? Here's a great apostle, Paul, that has said we were so pushed to the limit that we just almost wanted to die. I know that feeling. If you have suffered incredibly, you know that feeling. In one way or another, whatever the suffering might have been, you know what that feels like. And backing up to verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation or in all our troubles, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then he goes on about the sufferings of Christ abounding in us. I love the New Living Translation on verse 4, and the NLT puts it this way. He says, he comforts us, or God comforts us, in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. The best minister for what you're going through is someone who has suffered in the same way. Who knows through experience. Someone who has been there. The best person to minister to the poor, who better to minister to the poor than someone who knows poverty? Who better to minister to someone that's gone through divorce than someone who's been divorced? Who better to minister to a victim of abuse than someone who's been abused? Who better to minister to parents whose children are estranged than a parent who has estranged children? Who better to minister to someone who's gone through cancer or some other illness than someone who has gone through cancer or some other illness? Who better to minister to someone who is feeling incredible physical pain for whatever reason than someone else that has felt physical pain in their life? Who better to minister someone going through the grief of death than someone who knows what it is to lose a parent or a spouse or a child. The visitation for our son, every person that came, and I mentioned this last week, I thank those of you for coming, but every person that came was important. The funeral director, Tim, I've known him for years. I've officiated probably, I can't even remember, maybe about 30 funerals with him in that community over the years. I know him well, and I know he's, a, he's good at his job, but he's a guy that wants to push those lineups. And when it, I know how it was crazy, the lineup I know that many of you stood in. And I know he would want to just push people and push people. And I said, Tim, I know you. And I said, please don't push people. I said, if it's getting backed up, come and tell me. And I said, we will do the best we can to get people going because I said, we want to greet every 
person because every person is important. But there were eight couples, eight couples that came through that lineup that day who'd lost children through death. Four of those couples, I had officiated at the funerals of their children. As I looked them in the eye that day, I said, I had no idea, not a clue of the pain that you were going through. I said, I did my best, but I had no idea. And they just looked at me with a knowing look. Now you know. It doesn't mean, however, and I want to emphasize this, that you shouldn't try to comfort people, even if you have not gone through what they're going through. And I don't want anyone to go away from here feeling like, well, I didn't ever, I was never poor, I was never, every one of us can to some measure bring comfort or encouragement or bless people that are hurting. And so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. And, and I would encourage you not to avoid hurting people. Just all I want to say is respect the limits that you have. I could never go to someone that's going through cancer and say, I know what you're going through, or I understand because I've never been there. And so that's just an example, but you, I want to encourage you to care, to get involved, to reach out to hurting people within the limits that you can. Can I just put it really simply? Every one of you is capable, I hope, I hope of showing love. And if you, if you can't understand what that person is going through, you can at least show love to them. I'm going to mention a name this morning because it's a positive example, and I hope my dear sister won't be offended. But Louise Kuhn, some of you know her from RCF. I think maybe her son might be here, I'm not sure. But the first Sunday we went back to church, and it was agony to go back to church. It was the end of April, and I said, we were home, and I said to Jackie, we got to go somewhere, we got to go. And RCF was 20 minutes away. I said, well, let's go to RCF. And I said, we'll sneak in late so we don't have to talk to people, and we'll get out as quickly as we can. And now I understand why people do that. And so we tried to sneak in late, but if you know RCF, there's always people greeting you at the door. We couldn't sneak in. And there were a couple of people that grabbed us right away, and... You know, we just as quickly as we could wanted to get seated, but we turned and I didn't know that this had, the exact same thing happened to Jackie as what happened to me. And I turned and there's Louise Kuhn. And if you know her, she's just the kindest, gentlest person. And with this loving smile, she just came up with her arms out and she grabbed me and she hugged me. And she said, I love you. She said, I love you. And she said, it's brave of you to come today. And it just broke my heart, and I just wept. She'd never experienced the death of a child, but she showed love. And whether it's a hug or a note or something or whatever way, a meal given, there are so many ways that you can show. And, and I'm thinking of our situation, but anyone that is hurting, there are so many ways that you can just show love. Even if you can't relate with what they're going through, you can still show love. We're all capable of doing that. Can I encourage you to do that?
When we suffer, God comforts us. God is near us in our suffering. We may not feel it. I mentioned earlier there were moments that I felt absolutely abandoned by God, but I knew he was there. Faith holds on even when the feelings don't line up. And I knew he was there, and I knew this. I knew it. I knew he understood the pain we were going through. And one of the things that I have held to, and in the early days, I said, Father, you know. You know what it's like to see your son die. You know that pain. And that was a comfort to me to know my God was there with me in the spirit of God. Even though I might not have felt it, I know he was there. He comforts us in all our troubles. And I want you to notice what it says. Who comforts us in all our tribulation, all our troubles, that, and there's a response here, that what? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort. With, what, what is being said here? You felt pain. You've gone through something. Whatever it is, it may be grief. It may be physical pain. It may be rejection. It, whatever thing you have gone through and suffered through, God says, now you've gone through that. Now I want you to take that pain that you've gone through, and I want you to minister to someone else who's feeling that pain or who feels pain. One of the prayers that we have in all of this, and I keep pleading with God for this, that the, what we have gone through would not be wasted. And that that pain then would be something now that we can use going forward in our ministry in the future. I don't know what our ministry is going to look like. It is going to change. There's no doubt about that. But in whatever way that we can now pour comfort into the hearts of people that are hurting because we can understand it in a way that we didn't before. You, whatever way you suffer, you can do the same thing. Not waste that pain, that suffering, whatever it is that you're struggling with, and take that now and bring it to the glory, for the glory of God, that God would redeem it for his purpose in the lives of others. I'm going to end with this quote, Elizabeth Elliot. I know that most of you here this morning know who Elizabeth Elliot is, or maybe a younger generation that doesn't. If you just Google Jim Elliot, you'll get the story. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband's son, or pardon me, whose husband Jim killed in 1956. I don't need to tell this story to most of you here in Ecuador. And this dawned on me when I was reading this recently. Jim was 28 years old. Our son Nathan was 28 years old, young man, prime of life. But there's a quote here from Elizabeth Elliot. I'm going to end with this. She says, we want to avoid suffering, death, sin, ashes, but we live in a world crushed and broken and torn, a world God himself visited to redeem. We receive his poured out life and being allowed the high privilege of suffering with him, we may then pour ourselves out for others. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to read the last part of that quote. Being allowed the high privilege of suffering with him, we may then pour ourselves out for others. Suffering compels us to depend on God. Suffering conditions us to live eternally minded. Suffering conforms us to Christ's likeness, and suffering enables us to comfort others.
Father, we, we ask God that you would help us to walk in the purpose that you have for each of our lives. And Father, we want the blessings. We want everything to go great in our life. We, and maybe it's because we live in such a sheltered part of the world that we just expect everything's going to go great in life. But Father, I know in a group like this this morning, there's not one person in here that in some way hasn't been touched by sorrow or disappointment or heartache, some far more than others. God, you know the measure of the pain. And we pray that in that pain and that sorrow and that brokenness that we experience, that you would be glorified, first of all, above everything else. We are here for your purpose, whatever that might be. You are a sovereign God. And Lord, we pray then that we would, by your grace, through your spirit, take the pain and the sorrow that we have gone through. And as you give us opportunity that we would care for others, we would comfort others, we would love those that are hurting. And so, Father, we just humbly put ourselves in your hands. We thank you that you are a God that is not distant from our suffering. You came into this world so humbly, so small, so weak, so vulnerable, so frail. And you entered into a world of pain and sorrow, and you felt it. You felt it, and you walked through it, and you faced death for us. We thank you that you are risen, and Savior is risen. He has conquered death. There's a day coming we will stand in your presence and we will glorify you on that day together. So encourage us this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.